If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. Well, if you look at all of the challenges that are happening to LGBT rights all over the country right now, you could be forgiven for thinking it's 1999. Tonight, we'll be talking to the executive director of the Tennessee Equality Project about some recent laws that have been passed there that don't bode well for us, but I think something's going to change. And Steve Pry talks to World of Wonder founders Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey about their reality TV empire, the art of drag, the impact of RuPaul's Drag Race, and the upcoming second annual drag Con at the LA Convention Center. Plus, we'll talk live in studio with Daniel Francesi, who you might know from such films as Bully and Mean Girls, not to mention his stereotype-shattering turn as an HIV-positive bear on HBO's Looking. And I've been watching him lately on Recovery Road, a show where everybody is in recovery, and we'll have lots to say about that later. first, here's the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm John Beaupre. And I'm Wenzel Jones. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending April 9th, 2016. Never one to pass up the chance to rain on LGBT parades or civil marriages, the latest thoughts issued by Pope Francis this week included an absolute certainty that the Roman Catholic Church would never bless same-gender unions. In a 256-page document on family life, released on April 8th and called Amoris Laetitia, or Joy of Love, the Vatican underscores the Church's definition of marriage as only between a man and woman. As for proposals to place unions between homosexual persons on the same level as marriage, the document says, there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family. The document essentially summarizes conclusions reached at recent synods on the church and family life, where proposals to liberalize Roman Catholic teachings were quietly offered but quickly rejected. Transgender people are also in the Pope's crosshairs. It is one thing to be understanding of human weakness and the complexities of life, and another to accept ideologies that attempt to sunder what are inseparable aspects of reality, he writes. Let us not fall into the sin of trying to replace the Creator. Creation is prior to us and must be received as a gift. But the Vatican has refused the gift of an openly gay ambassador from France. President François Hollande originally proposed his head of protocol, Laurent Stefanini, for the Holy See position last year. But the Vatican steadfastly refused to confirm the appointment. 
The French Catholic newspaper La Croix cited an unnamed source who said the Vatican considered it a provocation that France's socialist government, which in 2013 opened civil marriage to same-gender couples, had proposed an openly gay man for the post. The fact that Stefanini is a practicing Roman Catholic was supported by the Archbishop of Paris and has neither married nor entered into a civil union apparently had no influence on the Vatican's Christian charity. France officially gave up on that appointment this week and named Stefanini ambassador to UNESCO, the Paris-based cultural agency of the United Nations. The country's Vatican ambassadorship will remain unfilled until at least next year. The district court's ruling errs in so many respects that it is hard to know where to begin. Thus began the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals decision on April 7th, confirming equal civil marriage rights in Puerto Rico. District Court Judge Juan Perez Jimenez claimed that the U.S. Supreme Court's June 2015 marriage equality ruling didn't apply to Puerto Rico because it's a U.S. territory, not a state. The First Circuit decision was not subtle. For present purposes, we need not gild the lily, it said. The District Court both misconstrued the Supreme Court ruling and directly contradicted our mandate. The appeals court issued an order requiring the district court to strike down the civil marriage ban in Puerto Rico that Judge Perez Jimenez had upheld, and then ordered the clerk to assign that task to a different judge. Some 200 bills targeting the civil rights of sexual and gender minorities have been introduced in dozens of U.S. states. A few have already passed. The consensus view seems to be that those efforts are in response to last year's U.S. Supreme Court civil marriage equality ruling, Georgia's Republican Governor Nathan Deal won praise from human rights supporters for vetoing a so-called religious freedom bill. But his gubernatorial GOP compatriot in North Carolina, Pat McCrory, signed HB2, a bill overturning an LGBT civil rights ordinance in the city of Charlotte and banning other local governments from enacting similar protections. But the only thing defenders of HB2 want to talk about is the provision that requires transgender people to use the gender-segregated facilities in public buildings and school campuses that match the gender on their birth certificate. The law is having the opposite effect of what lawmakers intended, however. Bearded trans men are now required by North Carolina law to use women's restrooms, and curvaceous trans women must now pee in public men's rooms, where possibly predatory heterosexual men could be less than welcoming. Stephen Schwartz, the Tony Award-winning composer and lyricist behind Broadway's Pippin, Godspell, and Wicked, issued a statement this week refusing to permit productions of his works by theaters and organizations in North Carolina until this heinous legislation is repealed. He invited other luminaries of the gay white way to join him. And rock and roll icon Bruce Springsteen canceled a concert scheduled for April 10th in Greensboro, North Carolina, to protest HB2. Apologizing to his fans there, he said in a statement that tickets would be refunded at point of purchase. Some things are more important than a rock show, he said, and this fight against prejudice and bigotry is one of them. E Street bandmate guitarist Steve Van Zant told the Associated Press that escalating state legislative attacks on LGBT people are like an evil virus spreading across the country. A burgeoning number of business conglomerates are not only criticizing North Carolina, they're abandoning it. Just this week, PayPal canceled plans for an expansion in Charlotte. Lionsgate is among the production companies to cancel filming in the Tar Heel State. Well over 100 corporate giants, ranging from Apple to Marriott Hotels to the NBA, have condemned the legislation. Officials in major U.S. cities and more and more states are banning official travel to North Carolina, and federal agencies are reviewing funding to the state in view of its apparent violations of the U.S. Constitution.
Throwing caution to the wind, Phil Bryant, the Republican governor of Mississippi, signed a so-called religious freedom bill this week that critics call the most sweeping anti-LGBT legislation in the country to date. It allows businesses, individuals, and religiously affiliated organizations to deny service to LGBT people, single mothers, and others they don't like based on the provider's sincerely held religious belief or moral convictions. It also directly targets transgender residents, essentially stipulating that one's gender assigned at birth is immutable and will be the only gender recognized by the state. Officials in several big cities and states that have already banned official travel to North Carolina are now also banning official travel to Mississippi. Businesses are similarly condemning, and in some cases fleeing, the hospitality state in growing numbers. And, as with North Carolina, federal officials are examining aid to Mississippi because of its clearly discriminatory laws. Meanwhile, the latest in a slew of anti-queer bills in Kansas would make it impossible for transgender people to legally change their name or change their gender on legal documents. Tennessee lawmakers are considering a bill allowing counselors and mental health professionals to refuse to serve a patient based on sincerely held religious beliefs. They also advanced a proposal this week to bar trans students from using the restrooms or locker rooms that correspond to their gender identity. But finally, Pennsylvania's Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, may have had the best response so far to the spate of anti-LGBT legislation in the United States. He announced an executive order on April 7th that bans discrimination against LGBT state employees. A media statement noted that, Governor Wolf has made clear that this startling trend in other states will not find success in Pennsylvania. He also used his bully pulpit to call on lawmakers to finally pass a statewide law banning workplace bias based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Pennsylvania is the only state in the Northeast without one. Pointedly criticizing his fellow governors in North Carolina and Mississippi, Wolf told Pittsburgh radio station WESA that we want to be known as a welcoming state. We want to be known as a place that's open for everybody. That's News Wrap for the week ending April 9th, 2016, produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm John Beaupre. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So as you heard on NewsRap and as you've probably heard on all sorts of other news sources, um, there's a lot of stuff going on right now on a state level that are challenging our rights. And you can't help but wonder if a lot of this stuff really kicked into gear after the same-sex marriage ruling, I think. This is the new front for LGBT rights is, well, these state religious freedom bills. I must say the romance of the South is being lost It's on me. You know what? But there is a one, there are wonderful places in the South, and certainly people are fighting the good fight. And one of those people fighting the good fight is our next guest, who is calling in from Tennessee. Uh, Chris Sanders is the executive director of the Tennessee Equality Project. And they have been dealing with a law that just got passed called uh, Senate Bill 1556 or House Bill 1840. Take your pick. I've also heard it called the Hate Bill 1840. That gives counselors, mental health counselors, the right to deny service to people based on what they call sincerely held religious beliefs. And that seems to be the new buzz phrase. Um, And of course, that's really about 
LGBT people at its core. And here to talk about it is Chris Sanders. Chris, are you there? I'm here. Thank you all so much for having me tonight. Thanks for calling in. So can you just briefly explain what this bill does and what's wrong with it? Yes. Uh, Tonight, actually, the Senate concurred with the changes made uh, to the bill in the House, so the governor uh, should be seeing it on his desk fairly soon. The bill uh, now would allow counselors to turn clients away based on sincerely held principles, which is even broader than religious beliefs. Wow. Principles, eh? That's the changes that they just made? Well, it's the change that the House had made, and the Senate had to decide whether to concur or not. If the bills differ, then they can't go forward. And uh, realizing that and not wanting to butt heads with the House, they decided to concur with the House. And the bill is now broader than it was. Well, now, Chris, this is Wenzel. I was just curious, when it originally said religious beliefs, did it mean all religious beliefs, or was it totally Christian religious beliefs? Well, you can't write Christian beliefs into uh, a law because that would be on its face unconstitutional. Uh, So it said religious beliefs generally. But now it's removed the word religious, and it means sincerely held principles. So um, presumably, uh, if you sincerely hold sexism as a principle, uh, then uh, that might qualify. Um, What's wrong with this? I mean, I have a sense of it, but what, just to the public, what is wrong with a bill like this? Well, the entire counseling profession, uh, their professional associations oppose the bill uh, because what the counseling profession has been trying gradually to do, and it's... uh, Uh, code of ethics is put the focus on the client, the needs of the client. There's no evidence that the First Amendment rights uh, of counselors are in any way being trampled in this country. What we know is going on in this country, uh, particularly in rural areas, and Tennessee is heavily rural, is that there is uh, not enough uh, in the way of mental health services to go around. Uh, There are a lot of mental health disparities in states like Tennessee And when a counselor can turn someone away, it adds stigma in that situation. You think about anybody who has gotten the courage to seek counseling. That's not an easy process for everybody because there is such a stigma about mental health in this country. So you've gotten up the courage to get counseling. You go, you disclose something about yourself in counseling, and you're met with judgment. Yeah. That can be devastating for someone. Um, And in a rural area, to be referred, there might not be a counselor who can help you for 30 miles. And if you don't have transportation or you don't have funds, that's not an easy road for you. No, not at all. And I know that that is part of the bill that makes it look kind of friendly on its face. It's, oh, we just refer you to somebody else. Right. Well, now I'm curious because this person will be more friendly to you and blah, blah, blah. The fact is, we shouldn't have counselors who are hostile to anyone on the basis of principle. I mean, that that is antithetical to the profession. Well, I'm I'm curious, is this going to lead to a world where counselors actually have to list their firmly held beliefs so that you don't start with them? Or I, I just can't imagine where this is going. Well, uh, it would be nice if they had to do that. And in fact, um, uh, Representative John Ray Clemens tried to add an amendment to the bill requiring that to p- them to post such signage on their website and at their offices if, if they had that. But that, 
uh, amendment was um, not adopted because it was <laughs> construed uh, by uh, the majority as uh, making those counselors a target uh, to activists like me, I suppose. So, uh. um, you know, darn those radical LGBT activists. But, right, right, right. You uh, were trying it's, a, it's an excellent question. I mean, it might be better if we lived in a world where people disclosed that on the front end so that you would not face the embarrassment and stigma and judgment of going to a counselor only to find out that you weren't acceptable to that counselor. Do you think that the governor is going to sign this? He has not. He has said he is looking at the bill uh, and has not decided, and he won't decide until after it formally reaches his desk. So that is why um, we delivered uh, over 2,500 signatures to him today. We didn't have a lot of time to gather them, uh, but uh, it was a good number, and there were a lot of wonderful comments from therapists in the petition, and um, we'll see. I think the counseling profession will continue to uh, contact the governor and urge him uh, to veto the bill. Uh, the backlash is building in, uh, against what's going on in Tennessee, that bill, and an anti-transgender bathroom bill. So right. I'm hopeful that the governor will look at the two bills together and say this is not right for our state. Um, just one last quick question. Uh, GLAAD has mm-hmm. recently urged country music artists in Nashville to take a stand, and people like Ty Herndon, Amy Lou Harris, Desmond Harris, and the guy oh. that plays Will Lexington on Nashville have come out against it. Do you think they're going to get any traction with that? Well, uh, I was at the press conference today, and um, I think um, the music industry is extremely important to Tennessee's economy. Uh, Not only concerts that we have here, but of course, so much of the recording industry is here. And I do think you'll see more people step up. The point of their intervention today was, let's get companies to denounce before a bill passes and not after the fact. Very good. Um, what we want is to stop things, uh, not just to condemn things in, in hindsight. Chris Sanders, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for the Tennessee Equality Project and all the good work you're doing. I just love Tennessee, and I wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you so much uh, for the discussion tonight and letting me talk to your uh, listeners. Keep us posted. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And gosh, what if it passed in every other service industry in the state tried to jump on that? And it would completely gut all the civil right protections that anyone passes. But on a sunnier note, Miss Abby, a much sunnier note, (laughs) Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey are the people behind World of Wonder, which is one of the most amazing websites on the Internet. Uh, It's sort of your portal to everything. These are the people who did the Eyes of Tammy Faye documentary. They're behind RuPaul's Drag Race, Big Freeders, Big Bounce, 101 Rent Boys, and both the documentary and film of Party Monster. Well, our own Steve Bride went and had a chat with them, and let's listen to what they discussed. Before World of Wonder founders Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey ran a reality TV empire, they were a disco pop rock duo called the Fabulous Pop-Tarts, performing at clubs in downtown New York City. They formed World of Wonder in 1981 to self-distribute their records and promote the neophyte careers of fabulous friends like RuPaul.
I'm Randy Barbado. I'm Fenton Bailey. Randy and I met in East Village in the 80s and we went to a club called The Pyramid and we saw these amazing drag shows. And we looked at each other and we were like, this is art. This is incredible. This is great work. This should be seen beyond the pyramid. The idea that drag is men in dresses or the idea that drag, to use politically correct terminology, is transphobic fancy dress is complete nonsense. It is the ultimate creative act of taking the canvas of your body and inventing something rich and strange, not necessarily with a lot of money, but using the power of imagination, because that's what it is. And we've always felt there's a singular profundity in that expression, you know, you're born naked and the rest is drag. We're all in a kind of uniform, and that uniform is, like it or not, a kind of chosen presentation or image. It's all drag. And by drag, I mean true creativity, real imaginative work that is, it is significant. Fenton and I, when we met in the 80s in the East Village, back when the East Village was the East Village, we were going <laughs> to NYU film school. We used to cut classes to go to the Pyramid Happy Hour. And truly, we'd quit film school and enrolled at the Pyramid. It really was the turning point for us. And it has been to this day. I mean, so many of the people that we met there now, we're still friendly with. They continue to inspire us. And it makes sense. We identify with and connect with outsiders because we grew up as outsiders. That's what all of our work is about. And it's not only about people who are on the fringe, but it's about that commitment to helping people who don't identify with that understand that actually we're all outsiders. We all, whether it's Maplethorpe or Tammy Faye or Monica Lewinsky or RuPaul, it's about their humanity. It's about what we have in common with people who we perceive as being other. The reality is they aren't other, they are us. That's who we are. And that's who we have always been. That's who we've always been attracted to. And our life's work has been about sharing those people, those worlds with everybody else and getting other people to understand, actually, you know what? That's who you are. Your life's work has been so prolific. I went on IMDb this morning thinking, I'll just run through these real quick. And they just kept paging down, paging down, <laughs> paging down. You we work with a lot of people, though. We have a production company called World of Wonder. It's a production company filled with artists, filled with outsiders, filled with people like us who, who make great things. So we're blessed. World of Wonder actually did not begin as what it is today. It was to represent the fabulous Pop-Tarts. And that your relationship with RuPaul goes all the way back to those days. Our relationship with Ru does go back. A long way. I saw the uh, video for Whore on YouTube. <laughs> that was from the Christmas special. Yeah, the Christmas special we did for Channel 4, where the meatpacking district was still then the meatpacking district. Yes. And we shot that commercial for RuPaul's Hall, for She Who she Is. Who is. <laughs> We've known RuPaul for over 30 years. We We've... were playing in Atlanta, performing in Atlanta, and Ru introduced us. And I think we knew then that 
Rue really was the one who belonged on stage. Yeah, she was um, just like... <laughs> rather than us. We've known from the moment we first saw Rue that, oh my God, every minute he's not on TV is a crime to humanity. He was fully realized. He was. He was fully realized Absolutely. 30 years ago. He was saying, everybody say love, you're born naked and the rest is drag. Then he was complete. And we could have these kinds of conversations we had with him then. He was spiritual. He had a vision. He had a list of the things he wanted to accomplish in his life. Don't you remember when we saw him in Atlanta and he was wheat posting posters that said RuPaul is everything? It was like, oh my God. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) Renny and I just looked at each other and was like, that mother's a star. We really did feel that he was a star and it was just a question of the rest of the world catching up and ultimately we think it's a really good thing because we are in an age when with the rise of Donald Trump with the refugee crisis with terrorism we need to keep open hearts and open minds there's a lot of messaging out there to close down and to shut people out but that is not the way forward and I just think that someone like Rue and the hundred plus drag queens now that have been on Drag Race, Uh you know, they really help us to open our hearts and open our minds. And the work of Robert Maplethorpe and, you know, the incredible artistry of Big Frida and even, you know, Frederick and Ryan from Million Dollar Listings. The great thing is these are all characters who live their life out loud. You don't have to be gay, but who just without apology, without shame, have the courage to be themselves and not let other people's ideas silence them or not edit themselves to accommodate themselves to this false idea of normality. Because as Randy said, normality doesn't exist. We're all ultimately a minority of one. So everyone's a little bit gay. When people start talking down on reality television, it always makes you think that's not one thing. There are several kinds of reality television. There's several levels of quality and integrity. And really, ultimately, all of it, reality scripted, unscripted, competition elimination, whatever you want to call it, it's really all storytelling. We don't like to trash other TV, but I do think our stuff is stuff we're attracted to. So there's some things out there we're never going to make because we're not attracted to it. We're not really into violence, so we're not going to make table-tossing shows. We and the people who we work with just work on stuff we're passionate about. So there's some stuff out there that I don't particularly like, and I know we're never going to be doing that stuff because we're not passionate about it. Life's too short. Two queens stand before me. Ladies, this is your last chance to impress me and save yourself from elimination. The time has come for you to lip sync for your life. Do you think the show has changed drag? I think that the show hasn't changed drag. I think it has created more opportunity. I mean, the interesting thing and the thing that we're completely committed to with Drag Race is there's a winner every season, but everyone's a winner who's on Drag Race. We're committed to just growing drag and growing the art of drag and using Drag Race 
to create that interest and excitement about this art form. And what's great about this show, and it's unique to it, to all other competition reality shows, is that we have 100 drag queens who have been on that show. And almost all of them have careers now. They get booked. They make money. We have kind of reinvigorated people's interest in drag, which is so important. It's so important, especially now, because drag queens are the Marines of the LGBTQ community. Their high heels are the boots. They have fought for the cause from day one. They threw the brick at Stonewall. They don't get the respect they deserve. And this show, yes, it's a TV show and it's entertainment and there's fun and there's joy, and, but it is political. We do believe for so long that these artists have gone unrecognized. And it's great that it's had the life that it's had and knock wood, it will continue because the longer it's on, the broader it can be, the more types of queens we can include. You know, we have pageant queens, comedy queens, fishy queens. We're growing it to represent all the different types of artists who are in drag. And by the way, now we also have DragCon, which this year will be the second year, May 4th, at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Last year, there were 14,000 people at DragCon. There were families, children, all kinds of drag queens. And this year, it's going to be double the size. So we've really tapped into a tribe of people out there, people who love drag, people who do drag. And our commitment is to make it as inclusive as possible. And, you know, it's hard. It's challenging because... We can only have like 10 queens a year on. And it's funny, after the first couple seasons, people are like, well, you're going to run out of drag queens. Uh Uh-uh. No, Mm -hmm. we aren't. Because there's a whole new generation of young drag queens. Plus, the older drag queens now are understanding it's okay to be on Drag Race. So Drag Race is really a platform or a stage. I suppose you could say that traditionally TV has been drag queen resistant. Drag queens belong on TV, no question. The small screen is perfect for the big visuals and the big hats. It's just perfect medium. First came Drag Race, then Drag Con. The next thing for us is Drag TV. I mean, we want a network just filled with drag queens. You have a YouTube channel now, correct? Yes, a Wow Presents, where a number of the girls, like Alyssa Edwards, there are a number of queens who have shows on Wow Presents. What is the best part of being you? Mm. Well, well, I guess the best part is it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, sure, it's hard work, but it's really more fun and enjoyable. And we really do love what we do and feel really lucky to be able to do it. And I think that's the best part. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets challenging when you're making TV and when you're dealing with people who are attracted to the lights. Sometimes they get it twisted and they forget that there's actually room for everyone at the table. So that can be challenging. But when that's not part of the equation, when people get... I love it when people get what we're doing, that we're just trying to bring more people to the table. DragCon is such, like, that's a great thing. That's one of the best things that that we, what's the best thing about being you is getting to do something like DragCon. Because 
it's the total manifestation of everything we're about. And everyone gets to participate in the different ways that you want to. Like, there's enough room for everyone. You know, there are a few queens who, <laughs> like, it's never big enough, it's never enough. But increasingly, I think people get that that's what we're about. And that's really rewarding. This has been a conversation with World of Wonder founders Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey. Find more information at worldofwonder.net. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Oh, Abby, I think we found our new theme song. Oh, there it is? Anyway, DragCon will be held May 7th and 8th this year, and I went with Steve last year, and it was so much fun. Uh, You run into all sorts of fascinating people, one of whom will be with us live in the studio a little later in the show, Mr. Daniel Francesi himself. Was it DragCon? Very soon, within minutes. I know. And And the thing is, you see the most amazing architectural drag queens standing in front of you there. It's astonishing. Architectural drag queens. Is that a real word? Did you just make, did you just make that term up? I love it. I think I stole it probably. Oh, okay. Well, if you love this kind of stuff, I love this kind of stuff. Why not be a member of KPFK? Uh, IMRU's one good reason to be a member of KPFK, but KPFK itself is such a local treasure. And... And as treasure goes, it's popularly priced. For only $25, you can become a member. Because it's not pledge break. We don't have people standing by the phones, but you can go to kpfk.org and just fill out the little form, and $25 gets you a membership and... And it's a way to say you love us. And make sure you tell them you heard it here. Also, um, there is the sustainer where you actually allow them to deduct monthly. And we're talking like $10 a month. $10. $10. And For some would, people, that's a lot. Well, it is For a lot. For some people, it isn't. It is. I know. But but that makes it easier to budget when you can say, oh, we'll have this much coming in at a time. Either way, whatever you're more comfortable this is the soft pitch. And this is your radio station. And why not be a member? Easy. KPFK.org. Just go. It's the wonder of the internet. <laughs> okay, that concludes the soft pitch. Center, focus, breathe. Because you know who's here right now? Do you Who? know who's sitting right Who? next to me? Who? Oh, you can see him. There's no missing this, man. It's Daniel Franzese. Hey, oh, wait. Everybody. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. oh, we're not talking to you yet. I'm so sorry. I didn't read ahead of my own thing. But, f- <laughs> yes, I know. Don't get too excited. Right, I'm going to go back in the corner. Okay, okay yeah. go stand there. We'll, we'll like, be super back surprised when you come back. Daniel. <laughs> Mabel Hampton, dancer and activist, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Born in North Carolina in 1902, Mabel Hampton was an abused child, so at age 8, she headed out on her own. In the 1920s, she found work dancing in a Coney Island show, which led to stardom in all-black productions in Harlem. She rubbed elbows with sexually ambiguous entertainers like Bessie Smith and Gladys Bentley. In the 1930s, jobs for black performance were scarce. So Mabel went to work as a cleaning lady in New York City for the next four decades. By the 1960s, she'd become an icon in the black lesbian community in the Bronx. She spoke at the New York Pride Parade in 1984, saying, quote, I would like all my people to be free in this country and all over the world, my gay people and my black people. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Dustin Richardson. 
Hi, I'm Randy Barbado. Hello, I'm Fenton Bailey, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974. You weren't even born. Stick to the text. Okay, sorry. Stay on I said it was going <sighs> to... On KPFK FM. 90.7 Los Angeles. 98.7 Santa Barbara. 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake. 93.7 San Diego. Or streaming online at kpfk.org. I just can't stop singing that little ditty right there. Welcome back. You are listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. Now and, go for it, Wenzel. And I'm Wenzel Jones, and I, I can't even pretend it's a surprise anymore because we have sitting right next to us from Recovery Road and many other fine things we'll be discussing, Mr. Daniel Francesi himself. Oh, can I come back up from out of the corner? You can. <laughs> come back. Here I am. Yay. <laughs> so, Daniel, uh, I, I watched Recovery Road just last night, and it's this scripted drama set in the world of I need not say, recovery. Can you sort of give a thumbnail sketch of what the show is? Yes, it's about this 17-year-old girl named Maddie who is caught uh, drinking and doing drugs while she's in a private high school. And they make a deal with her, and she has to live her nights and weekends in a sober adult living facility, uh, adult sober living facility, because the youth one is too far away. And she wants to finish her school, so it's she moves in with a bunch of us, and I play one of uh, the denizens in Springtime Meadows. You're the Mrs. Garrett. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Mr. Barrett. <laughs> I think that's how it goes. Well, now, what do you think is the most interesting aspect about this? Because uh, we were discussing earlier how you see when people discuss addiction on TV, sometimes it's like, oh, it's downfall or, oh, it's glamour. Or, yeah, we you know. see the glamour. You know, we see, like, uh, you know, the ugly, the tra- the tragicness of it. But th- this this is a beautiful part of it. This is the recovery. This is where a bunch of people band together um, and support each other. And I don't think we get to see that enough on screen. Um, to my knowledge, it's the first show about recovery. So, um, or one of the first, if any, if not. Uh, but it's uh, it's really sweet to see how everyone gets along and, and supports each other. I'm really struck by the fact that this is pitched to a younger audience, and that's kind of brave to do that. I mean, did you get any pushback or? No, um, Freeform has been incredible. Uh, that's the new name for ABC Family, which is ABC Disney. So for you know um, ABC Disney to do a show like this, I think it's really brave on their part too, and they don't hold back. I mean, we get pretty, you know, um, pretty real, and I think it's an incredible lesson for young people. And such clever addicts, because the, the one I saw last night, she runs around during the tour gluing drugs under all the furniture so it will be there. And I thought, that's very clever. But, of course, not a role model behavior. Right, and gets busted very soon after. Yeah. Now, I, now, I don't know what your relationship with chemical enhancements is, but you have certainly worked with people. You worked with Brad Renfro and yes. Bully. You worked with Lindsay Lohan, who's reputed to have... Of familiarity. Um, Did did knowing these people and their situation inform your performance at all, or were you just not? I mean, I think just my, you know, my life experience in general has informed it. You know, I mean, I've been not, I've been around a lot of people who are both um, in recovery and who need probably to be in recovery, um, both in my personal life and in uh, my professional life. So, uh, yeah, I think we all have, right? Yeah. 
Yes. It's a very, it's a very <laughs> common. Why are you all looking at me? Pregnant pause. <laughs> <laughs> so now you, you finished shooting the first season of Recovery. Right. right? Our, our first season just, uh, the spring finale just happened uh, okay. a few weeks ago. So um, now you can watch it on the Freeform app until we find out if we get picked up or not. <laughs> oh, you don't know yet? No, not yet. No, not yet. But I'm. Sh- I, but it's a very um, well-liked show, so I'm not too nervous. What kind of things are you hearing from your viewers? Well, we have 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's incredible. I mean, that's all the critics um, love it. And the viewers, uh, you know, Freeform's viewers are just really strong fans. You know, they uh, Freeform and previously ABC Family has always been number one in all the social media platforms. And uh, we live tweet our fans and we stay in touch. And so it's, it's a really strong fan base. Um, they'll be really angry if we don't get picked up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the only Daniel we can get because once the show is over we can hear your voice can we not in an upcoming uh, game show well yeah so uh, tonight after um rupaul's drag race premieres uh rupaul's new game show gay for play and i will be the announcer on it and they're not going to actually pay people to be gay are they <laughs> no it's a uh, different show it's gay for play <laughs> not gay for pay <laughs> different network to play on words rue's really good at twisting words so that's just the first example. Well, what I mean, what's what is it actually? About? It's a cheeky, a tongue-in-cheek, very, very, mm. very, very gay game show <laughs> with a lot of really awesome queer jokes. Uh, you know, sixty-nine seconds on the clock and <laughs> and trying to figure out. Um, just going back to Charles Nelson Riley and uh, um, and uh, Rip Taylor and all these great different uh, queer co- comedians that were on the game shows of yesteryear. All like it's bringing all of that back and. You know, adding the millennial spice. I almost feel like when we say Charles Nelson Riley, we should have a moment of silence. I, I kind of felt that way too. Because for, for generation, that was sort of our introduction to what a gay man might be like. Yes, and I think that they, you know, Rue said it recently in an interview that um, even though they weren't allowed in a lot of ways to say that they were gay on television, everybody knew and they were unabashedly themselves and didn't change themselves for TV. So that's the kind of game show that Rue is going after with us. And I just, I love Mama Rue. So. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, when did you when did you come out publicly? Uh, 2014. It really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I mean, I experienced a gay glass ceiling in Hollywood too. Uh, you know, being a famous gay character in Mean Girls, um, it got to the point where I met with casting directors and stuff. We've spoken about it on the show before, where they wouldn't even let me um, audition for roles because the, the role was a man's man or something, and not let me even go through the door. So I was seeing a lot of discrimination just based on my perceived sexuality. And it got to the point where politically it just um, – it was too hard to keep quiet with all the stuff that we're dealing with in today and we were dealing with at the time. And also the Mean Girls 10th anniversary I knew would amplify the message uh, that Hollywood needs to shape up and include more diversity. And if because of the wonder of radio, um, if you don't know what Daniel looks like, if you say man's man, it looks like, like this. Like Daniel. This man is, is the man foot. in the di- dictionary. I know. Whoa, large, <laughs> bearded – dark everything so yeah the idea that they would say oh no it's a manly man i'm just a big giant hairy italian that's true (laughs) now looking uh you said was that going to be a movie right movie yeah well um they didn't looking didn't get picked up for a third season but we did get green lighted a finale special which is a two-hour movie presentation on hbo um, which we shot this fall and is completed. And I hear is wonderful. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing it along with everyone else. We do not have a release date yet, but it will be this year. But will it be coming out in theaters or doing festivals? Or no, it, um, on or... HBO. Oh, okay. Yeah, on HBO. Okay. 
So um, what else do you have going on? Because you're a man of many interests. Many side hustles. I know. <laughs> Your Wikipedia page is, is yeah. kind of intimidating, actually. <laughs> Uh, really? I don't even I never even really look at it that kind of stuff. Um I just feel like somebody once said to me, "Well, what would you do if you weren't an actor?" And I was like, "Well, I'd probably take pictures." And then, you know, they were like, "Well, well, I'll probably be a photographer." And they were like, "Well, why don't you just take pictures?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I can." You know, so yeah. I started doing that and then I got some photos published and then that just made me think, "Well, what else can I do?" So, I'm I'm up for anything. <laughs> I I give a lot of different uh professions a try. You know, um, I co-wrote a musical and I've uh, curated art shows and I released a Christmas album as like a fictional rapping Santa this year. And, you know, I do a whole bunch of different things. Um, I'm I'm doing a speech on body positivity at the University of Wisconsin tomorrow. Well, now, do you have a website where people could access your Christmas album? Uh, It's on iTunes under What's Up Danny, but it's April. It's April. Yeah. (laughs) So, and it's 100 degrees. You're going to have to hang in there for, I'll put out, I'm probably going to put out a Summer Jam single at some point when I find the time. Some Uh, people like that Christmas in July thing. Yeah, I'm not feeling it right now. This year. Yeah, we're sitting in an absolute hot box. I'm not even trying to pitch that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, um, I think that uh, all of the things that I'm working on, you know, uh, carry a message of body positivity. Mm-hmm. And it's just a different way. I, I think anytime you see me on screen, it's a win. It's a win for big guys. It's a win for uh, gay people. It's a win for bears. It's a win for Italians. There's so many different reasons why someone like me should be on television. And I believe that for other people that are different, or um, just not, you know, part of the mainstream. We should see all the different colors of our beautiful rainbow. So. And how long have you been doing this public speaking aspect of your career? Um, I think I've always been uh, the type of person to take on, you know, to teach somebody or be a mentor or whatever. But uh, this is something that they specifically asked me to do, so I wrote a little something special for them. But I do um, a lot of storytelling surrounded around that. Uh, in town and around, and a lot of performances that are based off of that. I did a one-man show off Broadway. With, without giving too much away, because your audience is waiting very <laughs> excitedly for you to speak on this, what's the gist of what you're talking about? Um, well, I have a quote that sort of made it around the internet um, and got like a little little uh, virility on its own. But it is, uh, you either like me or you don't. It took me 20-something years to learn how to love myself. I don't have that kind of time to convince somebody else. <laughs> and I think I did 20-something things that you need to know uh, to learn how to love yourself. So it's just a little, just a couple little things. You know, uh, use the dating apps like you use hot sauce very sparingly (laughs) or you'll get burned, you know, (laughs) and just little um, analogies like that to sort of appeal to uh, the younger kids and just let them know how to love their bodies and themselves. I mean, you have to love your body more than your partner will or your partner will never love it that much, Mm -hmm. you know, and and learning to embrace nudity, even if you're alone and uh, learning to um, experience nature and learn the lessons that nature has to teach you because you can learn uh, patience from seeds and persistence from grass and. And uh, how to take care of a delicate flower. There's often loves that are like that, you know, that take a lot of patience and a lot of time and have a lot of thorns. But then the flower is just so beautiful to that gar- and worth it to that gardener. But somebody else might want something that just flourishes easy and beautiful all over the place. So there's just a lot of different things, I think, to take into mind that are around you that uh, a lot of people may not see. Um, I basically just tell them what I would have wanted to hear at that age. What What do you think was the thing that clicked, if there was any one thing? For I had you? a couple of those, like, you know, Oprah aha moments. Um, I was in a bar one time, and I, this guy was just like, man, you look at dudes so hard, like, from across, you know, and I was young. I was, like, 
probably 22. And he was like, you just need to realize that you're awesome. Like, did you ever look at a picture of yourself when you're in second grade and you felt so alone and, and ugly and, and untouchable and unapproachable? And then you look at yourself and, uh, later on and you're like, I was adorable. What yeah. was I thinking? And if you could just realize that you're hot now, if you could just realize that at the moment that, you know, um, the idea is to keep trying to get better, but you never get any younger and just accept who you are in the moment that, you, that in five years you're going to look at a picture of yourself today and think that you looked great, even if you feel bad. And it's sort of just like, you know, that kind of psyche. Do you think, is your character Vern in Recovery Road sort of this guy? This yeah. guy? <laughs> he is, yes. <laughs> Recovery Road is written by Bert V. Royal and Karen DiConcetto, who are very dear friends of mine. Uh, Bert and I uh, were roommates in college when we were 17. And Karen and I have been collaborators and friends for over a decade. Um, so... Uh, we know each other a really long time, too. And so um, they know me very well, and they know my analogies and my ways of talking about certain things, you know. Also, with body positivity, I have an analogy with donuts uh, that Bert really liked the other day. Uh, basically, uh, so I'm a, you know, you look at somebody who everybody who you think is like a quote-unquote 10, and they're like a jelly donut. Like, everyone will be like, oh. Okay, I'll have a jelly donut. Like, you know, but I might be a friend, you know, I might be like a bear claw that some people are like, well, that might be too much for me right now or too mm-hmm. rich, you know, and they might, or too, you know, too, like too much sugar or, or someone will be like, I, I'll take the bear claw, you know what I mean? And the person that wants the bear claw is the one that's going to want me, you know, and it's it's that type of deal. Or you, someone might be like, hey, I never had a bear claw and then <laughs> taste it and then I become their favorite donut, you know? And so it's it's that sort of thing when people just realize the, like the struggle of the world that everybody wants to be a jelly donut. Oh, to be a jelly donut. And it would be a boring world if that's all we had. It's true. Because we also have great cheese and crusty bread. I know. And, <laughs> and dried fruit. I speak for mm-hmm. myself here. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you speak primarily to young adults or do you, can you adjust it now for a younger audience or do you? Um, I also do, a, um, I also have a social media company mm-hmm. and a lot of my teaching, um, I, I work with a lot of uh, people um, of different ages and older ages uh, to learn to teach them how to love and use social media as like a part of their life, give them tutorials. Uh, so I feel like, I don't know, I speak both, you know, uh, up in age and, and down to, to youngsters. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just I gather a lot of information and I like to share it. I, I basically go through my life constantly using the um, scientific method and gathering information to <laughs> sort of figure out problems. I can't even imagine a world when I was a child that had would have had somebody like you in it because there were no role models Wouldn't for me. Wouldn't that have been a, nice? I mean, I, I grew up on Navy bases or nothing. Well, sailors, yeah. I mean, that's what's the beauty. <laughs> that's the beauty of the internet and of radio and other media um, and representation in media, which we're seeing a lot more of, and which I'm fighting and striving for. Um, especially, uh, you know, a lot of this came to light recently. I mean, I just came out in 2014, so a lot of my voice just has started to being heard. So, and I've started using it in a lot of different ways. You know, there's a lot of stuff I've been collecting and thinking privately that now I really feel an urge to share because perhaps I wouldn't have felt so um, imprisoned if I had heard some of the things myself. Now, every everybody loves a great Hollywood story. Do you have a favorite that you put in your speech every time because it's just... <laughs> A bond storm or a... You won't tell anybody. I don't know. I mean, there's like crazy name dropper stories. I've met like a lot of... I don't know if I have anything... Uh, we love those best of all. I know, but I don't <laughs> even know if that like means anything in, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head that's radio available. <laughs> we had to ask. Yeah, I know. I, know. I don't blame... <laughs> Sorry. I completely don't blame you. Um, I think what's interesting, I'll tell you a little Hollywood um, Schwab's 
like story Perfect. with uh, Gay for Play is I was a, um, a celebrity guest on the show and um, they mispronounced my name. And the the only reason I tell announcers know how to say my name is because of Rue. Um, I was on Rue's show, RuPaul Drives, and Rue taught me how to say, uh, it's like I don't have my own air conditioner. I have to use my friend's AC. And so I tell that to all people who need to pronounce my name, and so they get friends they see, right? Um, so uh, when we were sitting there, the announcer said my name wrong. So as soon as we had a little break, I was like, you know, the announcer said my name wrong. And they're like, oh, that's just a temp voice. We're actually looking for an announcer if you know anyone. And I was like, hello. So I went home and auditioned that night, and I got the part. That is very Schwab's. I like Isn't that. it? There's a little Hollywood story for you. Thank you. Very gay, uh, gay Hollywood story. And not even specific to you, but I – that driving around in a car with somebody has become a a thing. A thing. Like a meme. Yeah. So what is it to be a participant in that? Because they're fun to watch, but... It was interesting. I mean, you know, really great just driving around with Rue and uh, getting a little advice. You know, just hanging out. Well, is there anything in your future that you'd like to bring up, share, I, I think tease just, us with? I think just stay in contact with me via Instagram, Twitter, um, Snapchat, or um, the List app and any other app that you could find under What's Up Danny. And well, let's get the name right. Daniel mm-hmm. Francesi. 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 Yeah. Francesi. 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 Okay, so I said it right the first time, and then I screwed myself up. That's right. Up. Well, thank you so much for coming by to visit us here at IMRU because you were so busy. I can't believe you had the time for this. this I was truly will great. always make time for you guys. Thank, thank you. you so much. So not the last time. Nope. Well, that's it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, our board op, Federico Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And this Saturday... If you want to come on down to KPFK, we are having the spring community meeting. No. No, it's way more exciting than it sounds. (laughs) So here's a little rundown of what's going on. So from 1 to 3 p.m. this Saturday, we will be having a parking lot sale and barbecue with vegan options. Of course. And a DJ and lots of things for your shopping pleasure. And you can get your hands on some very rare KPFK memorabilia and support your station. And from 3 to 5, there will be a town hall-style meeting where we will be hearing from you about how we can better serve the needs in your community. And we really do want to hear, and because this is your station. And from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m., well, that's the party time. Live music, great live music, entertainment from local artists going well into the night, or that's late for me. And the event is here at the station, which is 3729 Coenga Boulevard in Studio City. Um, If you want to park at the Red Line Station at Universal City, it is within walking distance. Yes, indeed. And the and uh, just before we let you go, just a little reminder that we would love to get a few members from IMRU to show your IMRU love and KPFK love. All you have to do is to go to kpfk.org, $25, and you become a member. That is all it takes. It's the most affordable membership in the world. And do they get a bumper sticker out of it? it sure. sure. Why not? I, I, I can't promise or that, you could just so. probably come by the station come and by pick on one up at the lobby. Yes. So, yeah, $25, or you can be one of those. Uh, what was that clever word I used, wrote down, and have completely forgot? Oh, sustainer. When you do a monthly donation on your credit card. And like you said, that really does help for long-term planning for the station because we know what to expect beyond just this month. And it really means a lot. It shows that KPFK is a vital part of your life and you get to, I don't know, just know that you are a part of making this happen and keeping us going and keeping these very unique stories in on the air. And IMRU will keep coming to you. Because tonight we have provided you with Hollywood celebrity 
and political insight from across the nation. And that was just tonight. Relevant and fun. I know. That's what we seek to do. I know. Last time it was famous actors were sitting here talking about the show at Pasadena Playhouse. And every week we try to bring you something you won't find anywhere else. So... That's what you get as a member for, for, for I am a mere $25. We will close with a song tonight from the Pet Shop Boys that describes what Wenzel and I are feeling right now as we say goodnight. You could only mean happiness. Happiness. Good night. It's so long